Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I don't know if you have um, sensed in the atmosphere today, but there's been a shifting, uh, and it didn't just occur today. There's been a shifting in the atmosphere, and that shifting, first of all, occurs when our minds are shifted. If, if our emotions are just shifted, then that's temporary. You know what I mean? You see something, you like it for a moment. It can, it can borderline on lust and not love and not have a, a genuine pursuit. But our minds have to shift. That's what the word repentance really is. It's a shifting of the mind. It's a changing of the mind. And when the mind changes, then the heart begins to follow. The actions begin to follow. And then, and then we begin to release through our behavior and through our words, which equates to obedience, that creates a shifting in the atmosphere because God releases his power where there is a, an, an obedience to his will. And that shifting has occurred in this house, Park Lawn Assembly of God. Last Sunday, uh, the Lord gave me a word for the church. I wasn't preaching. Pastor Jay was preaching. But as I, as I led in the service, uh, he said to us, do it now. He said, do it now. He said, do not wait to be a blessing. Obedience cannot wait. How many of you know that delayed obedience is still disobedience? When God tells you to do something and you wait, that's disobedience. And whenever we wait, we delay or we, we, we literally hinder somebody else's breakthrough. You have an assignment, and your assignment is tied to somebody else's deliverance in their breakthrough. So you have to do it now. Don't wait to be a blessing. This morning, I want to, I want to take you to a very familiar verse of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. I don't know that some of you all are already going to begin to tune me out. You're going to get on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter but don't let the familiarity of this passage rob you of the blessing and the breakthrough that God has for you. Because this morning, God is raising up a new generation of giant killers. He's raising up a new generation of giant killers. I want to, first of all, before I read that text, I want to give honor to the pioneers who are here today. What do I mean by pioneers? Pioneers 
are those who have gone first. Those who have blazed a trail and a path in, um, in places that most people would dare to, to, to branch off into. They were the, they're the pioneers. They're the trailblazers, if you will. They're the parents who've gone first and who've sacrificed so that their children and their grandchildren can come behind them and inherit the blessings. They're pastors. Apostles are really first. They, they set a pace. They open up doors for others to follow. Pioneers, you are those who have reached a place where you're not satisfied with the status quo. You're not waiting for anybody else to change it. You've had enough and said, listen, it's got to change right now. I can't take it no more. You've probably heard me talk about reaching your Popeye point. Popeye used to be my favorite cartoon character when I was younger. And Popeye would reach his limit and say, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Popeye was saying, listen, this is unacceptable. I'm disgusted. Something has to change. And pioneers refuse to complain about the situation. Instead, they rise up and they change it. They have courage plus compassion. They're, they're like Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was, she was the first to see the resurrected Jesus. She was an apostolic prophetess who went to the temple, who did the hard work. She was willing to try to roll the stone away herself, but when she got there, she found the stone was already rolled away. She got up early in the morning while the, the disciples were still in the, in, the, in the upper room hidden away. She was an apostle to the apostles. She was blessed with bringing the word to the apostles that Jesus Christ was alive and well. This past uh, Wednesday, during the Aspire service, our guest apostle uh, called forth for our pastors and elders and ministers and ministry leaders to come to the platform for a time of prayer and anointing. And uh, he poured oil in my hands to anoint the leaders, but the Lord would not allow me to anoint any men until I had anointed all the women. And, I, and as I was anointing people, I was like, Lord, it's going to look strange to the people who are behind me watching me. And I'm like, what's wrong with him? Is he mad at the men? No. The Lord was honoring the women of God who have gone first, who have been pioneers. Mary was the one who put in the hard work on that first Resurrection Sunday. She was the one who blazed the trail so that every one of us, when we rise up on Sunday morning, we're not just coming to church out of a, a, a routine of religion, but we're coming to worship the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. As Elder Marcus said, we don't worship a Jesus who's still on the cross, but he's risen. Pioneers don't run away from challenges. They don't shy away from hard work. They don't bow down and shrink back just because they have a few critics. But they run towards the battle. They're like David. David was tired of seeing his people live in defeat. Tired of seeing people lose. I feel that way sometimes about the city of Milwaukee and, and different pockets of our community. 
tired of hearing about the homicides and tired of hearing about poverty and tired of hearing about, you know, disparities. Well, listen, pioneers don't complain about it. They rise up and do something about it. In our text in 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse 40, this is what David did. He took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Didn't run away, but he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he, as he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. With David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. With David still holding the Philistine's head. He's standing in front of the king, still holding the Philistine. Whose son are you, young man? David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. 
the world is asking of the church today, whose son are you? Who's your daddy? That's what they're saying. Who sent you? Who do you represent? When you step out in faith and you don't wait to be a blessing, you embracing a pioneering spirit like David and you are becoming a blessing to others, especially your own family. That's the first key. Whose son are you? What family do you represent? My mother was the first in our family to experience Jesus Christ in a born-again way. What do I mean by that? I'm, talk, I'm not talking about just going to church and ushering on the first and fourth Sunday. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you grew up in church where you could usher and then you can go outside and smoke you two or three cigarettes with your girlfriend that you're living with. Once she came out of the choir stand. No, no, my mother was the first in her family to have a born-again experience with Jesus Christ. And then she drug me and my little sister to church because all my older brothers, they were out the house. She drug us to church, and then we gave our lives to Christ. And that literally began to trickle on down to all of the siblings that I have in my family. It began to expand to her brothers and sisters and her nieces and nephews and even to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, many of which who are members of this church today. When my mother passed away six years ago, one of the things that I inherited from her was her prayer list, a handwritten prayer list where she prayed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for her children and different grandchildren on each day. And then she had another column, and on that same day, she'd pray for her, her brothers and her sisters and her nieces and nephews and grandchildren. Then she had another category where she would pray for women that she was mentoring and praying for friends and praying for churches, including Park Lawn. My mother was a first. She was a, a pioneer. And so when Saul asked the question, whose son are you? His question was beyond recognizing David's actions and the fact that David had a pioneering spirit. But Saul was recognizing that David's boldness brought a generational blessing upon his family. Because the question had been asked by David in verse 25. What shall be done for the man who kills this uncircumcised Philistine? And they said, the king will give great wealth to this man who kills him. The king will also give him his daughter in marriage. And he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. You see, when you are a blessing and not waiting, you're not just blessing yourself, but you're blessing your family. You're blessing the generations to come. Your assignment is tied to somebody else's breakthrough. And so when Saul was asking, who's your daddy? Whose son are you? He was, he was really saying, listen, if I'm about to pay out some money and give my daughter, I need to know who family she going into. I need to know who I'm about to exempt from some taxes. You're connected to your father. 
but he was also asking the question, whose son are you? Because he realized that David was getting ready to be introduced to the world. And God is telling you that you have an assignment today. And get ready for your day of introduction. Because the world is asking, who's your daddy? Who are you? What church do you go to? Who's your pastor? Who's your, who's your God? Who do you worship? There is something in you and something on you that nobody knows about, but it will not be revealed until you show up for your assignment. Nobody knew who David was. Not even his own father, not even his own brothers knew the anointing and the purpose of God upon his life until he showed up on the battlefield that day. God has already designed a problem or a giant, if you will, that you have been strategically placed on the earth to kill. That giant is your assignment. Don't run from your assignment. <laughs> Sometimes the giants, they, they, don't, they don't feel very well. They don't feel good. They're not comfortable. Sometimes they come in the form of pain. Sometimes they manifest themselves as sickness, discouragement. The Lord showed me as I was preparing this message that the enemy has been seeking to exhaust and wear out and eventually kill the armor bearers of this church. The armor bearers. Saul, uh, 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 Goliath had an armor bearer who went before him carrying his, his javelin and carrying his, his, his shield. And, and he, he, you know, he was the one who was going not to protect him but to really help carry the load. There are those who come to the church and they just come in to be a burden. Right? And then there are those who have been sent to bear the burden. The, the pastor cannot bear the whole burden. He needs some armor bearers. Armor bearers are elders and pastors and ministers and, and, and altar workers and life group leaders and, and prayer team members and intercessors. But the Lord showed me that the enemy has, seek, has been seeking to exhaust, to discourage to wear out, to, to attack the armor bearers in this ministry. And when the armor bearers are exhausted, that's when the giants can have their way. There's, there's a scripture I want to take you to to bear this out in 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're talking about raising up a new generation of giant killers. David was a pioneer giant killer. And verse 15 says, once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And Ishbibanab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. Now Ishbibanab was a, was a relative of Goliath. Now David had already killed his cousin. <laughs> so you imagine how he felt about David. I'm going to kill him. The name Ishbibanab means pride. See, pride will kill you. Pride goes before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. David was exhausted. Now, when David killed Goliath, he was just a little more than a boy. That's what, that's what Goliath said. You come at me with, a, with, with sticks, you're just a little boy. 
by this time in 2 Samuel chapter 21, David is a much older man. He could probably bear more burdens as a younger man than he could right now. He probably didn't get tired as quickly. Come on, y'all. Am I the only one? When you go up a flight of steps, you got to just take your... Why are you breathing so hard? <laughs> Used to run up those stairs. Now David is exhausted. And he's about to die. But verse 17 says, But Abishai, a son of Zeruiah, this is David's nephew, he came to David's rescue and he struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David's men swore to him saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. They were telling David, David, you are the, you are the light. You are the lamp in this nation. You are the lamp in this, in this community, in our army. If you go out, you're the pioneer. You're the father. If you die, come on, don't fool yourself. None of us got here on our own. If it had not been for the pioneers and those who went first. There's too many of us that are wanting to, to push the pioneers out to pasture. Go ahead and retire. Go ahead and let us put you in a nursing home. Go ahead and quit. We got this. I know you young and you smart and you energetic. But listen, you would not be where you are without the pioneers. So what we need is a spirit of, of armor bearers who will say, listen, I'm going to be a keeper of the flame. I'm not going to let the fire go out. I thank God for, for the physical and spiritual armor bearers that he surrounded me with, the pastors, the elders, the ministers, the prayer team members, the pastor's assistant committee, the intercessors, the life group leaders. They're saying, Bishop, listen, we're not going to let the fire go out. We're not going to let you carry all the burdens. We're not going to let you die in the ministry. Whoo, Jesus, so much I want to share in this message. I'll have to continue it next Sunday. Giant killers raise up and they inspire other giant killers. David killed the first giant. And then all of a sudden, his sons and his nephews and other young men in his camp and in his army began rising up killing giants. It's, it's like Joshua and Caleb, when they were two of the 12 spies sent into the promised land. And ten of the spies came back with a bad report, saying, yeah, there's, there's plenty of fruit in that land and there's there's olive groves and there's vineyards and there's wells and there's streams and there's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in that land. And we saw the giants and we look like grasshoppers in their sight and in ours. But it was Joshua and Caleb who said, listen, God is on our side. Them giants are too big to miss. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And once you kill one giant, I'm telling you, somebody's going to rise up with faith and say, I didn't think it could be done. Come on, once you're the first in your family to go to college, you know what else happens? You open up the door, now little Junebug and Pee Wee and Ray Ray and, and Tuki and Tootie and all of them going to college. But you were the first. The first one to go to a mission field. 
to do the hard work. Got to do the plowing. Ain't nobody ever put seed in that ground because the ground's not ready to receive the seed. But when you're the first, you don't give up. You don't wait to be a blessing. You do it now. It opens up the door for others to come in behind you. That's what God is doing. He's raising up a new generation of giant killers. See, God always honors the first. Yes, he honors the first. That's a biblical principle. That's why what we just did a moment ago when we received tithes and offerings is it's, it's probably the most spiritual act that we have in an order of a Sunday worship service. Yeah, I know we lead out with praise and worship. That's the first thing we do, and that's good. But God's waiting for the finale. He's waiting for the finale. Oh, it's offering time now. Now is my chance to really open up the door in your family. But you've got to release the seed of the first, which is the tithe. Because God honors the first. And when you release that tithe, God says, oh, I'm getting ready to pour out the blessing that they won't have room to receive. Not just financial blessings, but protection. Blessings upon your children and your, and your children's children. Blessings that you can't even imagine. Because God is looking for the first. Thank God for those early giant killers, for those senior saints who are in this church who gave when they had a job. Now they're on fixed income and they're still giving. Who gave so we could be in this wonderful worship facility. Don't ever just think, oh, they're in the way. <laughs> Pioneers. Then that same chapter, 2 Samuel 21, it shows how David became a pioneer. And in verse 18, how his sons began rising up. In verse 18, it says, In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Shebekai the Hushakite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's beam, and still another battle which took place at Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Don't look at nobody. Just keep looking at me. Because y'all know somebody with six fingers. I know somebody with six fingers. 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they all fell at the hands of David and his men. See, David the father, the pioneer, got credit for the giants that his sons killed. God is saying, if you're going to be in this new generation of giant killers, the first thing you got to do is you got to show up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to show up. Every giant is an opportunity for God to get glory. And the giants that are in your life are your assignment. Just, just get it out of your mind. Just get it out of your head that when you get saved, you don't ever have to fight in spiritual warfare. That's a myth. That's a lie. But you are destined for victory, not for defeat. But you will never experience the victory if you don't show up. If you lay down in bed every day, you're never going to win. 
You got to show up and you got to keep showing up. Secondly, you got to show up for the right battle. You got to show up, but you got to show up for the battle. There's, there's a whole lot of battles going on today. In fact, some of us, we need, we need discernment because we're being pulled into the wrong battle. I had an opportunity to, to show up for a battle on social media, but I said, listen, that's not, no, that's not my battleground. My anointing is not for social media battles. We want you to appear on Facebook and we want you to, you know, debate this topic. I said, you know what? No, that's the wrong battle. There's too many of us that are being distracted from the real battle. Questions about LGBTQ issues. Questions about should, should the church pass out condoms because young folk are going to have sex anyway. You know what? That's the wrong battle. That's the wrong battle. What do you believe, uh, Bishop, about... Uh, that's the wrong battle. I'm not qualified to comment on that. I can tell you what the Word of God says, but that's not my battle. You see, I don't want to be known for what I'm against. I want to be known for what I'm for. Amen? So David had that temptation to put on Saul's armor, but you got you to gotta stay on your anointing. David said, no, I can't wear that. I haven't proved that. Stay in your area of anointing because your anointing is connected to your assignment. This is the third key to, to be a, in this generation of giant killers. We got to speak up. And specifically, you got to speak to your fears. You got to speak to your fears. We know that David spoke to Goliath, said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. You got to speak to your fears. You can't run away from your fears. You got you to face your fear. Face that thing that you're terrified about. Face that thing that you're trying to ignore. It does, it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't acknowledge it. Face it. You even got to face your critics. David's brother, Eliab, came to him, accusing him of coming to just show out at the battle. You got to be willing to face your naysayers and your doubt pushers. Them folks that would dare to say, Mr. Big Stuff, who you think you are? Who do you think you are? Young fella, you just got here. Who? Don't you recognize? David said, listen, is there not a cause? Can I just ask a question? What, what people don't realize is that many of your own critics will often come from your own family first. Those people who will hold you back will be those who are closest to you because they know you best. They knew you first. They knew when you were Frankie. They knew when you were Junior, right? Now you're Bishop. Now you're Apostle. Now you're, now, you know, now you're, you're a doctor. But they're still trying to treat you like you Junebug. Familiarity breeds contempt. It makes us comfortable. That's why Moses' sister Miriam could rise up and dare to defy him. Who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff, marrying that Ethiopian woman? 
I used to change your diaper. If it hadn't been for me, you would have got eaten by the crocodiles. Familiarity. Haters often come from your own family. You got to speak up and you got to face your fears. You got to speak to your giant, not speak about your giant, but speak to your giant and tell your giant how big your God is. Stop telling God how big your giant is. Speak to your fears. And as we speak up, we also need to look up. We need to look up with a, with a big perspective on how big God is. You know, Saul, the king, he had such a small perspective. Those ten spies who went out with Joshua and Caleb, they had such a small view of a big God. They were telling God how big the giant was instead of telling the giants how big their God was. But David had a big perspective. That's a miracle to me when you think about it. Goliath is estimated that he stood nine feet six inches tall. Now, Simone Biles, the world-class gymnast, is probably four feet seven inches with some heels on. Shaquille O'Neal is like seven feet two inches tall. Goliath is two inches four, two feet four inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, that is a that is a tall man. That's a giant. But one of the things that I did in my research is that I realized that sometimes people who have uh, exponential growth, it's a result of an over-excretion of the pituitary gland that's excreting this growth hormone. That's why they become giants. That's why they become so tall. And until that, that, that pituitary gland is capped, it won't stop uh, releasing that hormone. And so they'll end up tall. But one of the other tragedies that often occurs with people who are giants is that sometimes tumors can grow on that pituitary gland and it, it presses against their eyes and creates uh, eye problems. Their vision is dim. And it's possible that Goliath had bad eyesight. Perhaps that's why he kept saying to David, come closer. <laughs> come closer. Because I can't kill you. I can't kill you if I can't see you. Maybe that's why he said to David, you come at me with sticks. All David had was a staff. You know, maybe it looked like, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? His vision was perhaps blurry. But listen, as believers, as this generation of giant killers, our sight has to be fixed on how big our God is. And David refused to be moved by his critics. He refused to be moved by the limited sight of the king himself. David kept his perspective on God and kept looking up and knew that God was much bigger. If you're going to be this new generation of giant killers, you got to not only uh, just declare how big your God is, but you got to rehearse yesterday's victories. You got to begin to say on your way to the battle. Now remember, when God killed the lion and the bear, remember that only you, you only had a sling and a stone in your hand. You're going to bring this giant down the same way. Listen, if God did it in the past, God can do it in the future. God can do it for you today. 
Don't matter if it's bears or lions or Vikings or raiders. It don't matter. God can bring them all down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a football. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Some of us going to black it out anyway. But your giant is waiting for you at the next level. He's waiting for you at the next level. Some of us are in process. 40 is a number of transition. 40 years, 40 days of fasting. 40 is, a, is, is, is symbolic of God bringing us to a new level. But in order for you to get to that new level, you've got to go through the process. And part of the process that God took David through was those silent years in the wilderness where God taught him how to be a worshiper. That's what the Father is seeking, worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God's not just, list, he's not just looking for music. He's not just looking for a song. He's looking for you to be worshipped. Did you catch that? He wants you to be worship. It's not something you do, but it's something you are. He wants you to learn how to play the harp, get in his presence, because that's when things begin to change. The key verse that I just could not, I could not shake is that David, when he cut Goliath's head off, he kept it in his hand even when he went to the king. He kept the, the giant's head in his hand. That's symbolic. Because if you're going to be a part of this new generation of giant killers, you cannot just have dominion in church. You can't just hold a Goliath's head up in praise and worship when the worship team is singing. And the word is going. It's one thing to have dominion on Sunday morning. It's another thing to have dominion when you go to work on Monday. Are you still holding Goliath's head then? God wants you to have dominion when you go home. When you walk the streets of your neighborhood. He wants you to take the victory that you got in church everywhere you go. What good is it to be a public success and a private failure? To have public renown and influence, but in private, you don't have any power, any authority. So God says, take the enemy's head home. Put it up on a stick. Let those demons in your home know you don't have any room here to operate anymore. I'm cutting your head off. I was watching our worship team this morning, and as they begin to come back, I was watching uh, Sister Tanya Dare, and she was the, she was the head. She was the first she was the pioneer. She's the worship leader. And as she would sing the verse first, she would do like this. What's that mean when you tap your head? That means go back to the top. That means do what I just did. I got that revelation. Listen, she's going first and the Lord is saying, okay, now y'all come too. You can do what I did. You can sing what I just sang. You can walk in the same victory that I just walked in. You don't just have to have victory on Sunday morning. Take the devil's head with you to, on, on your job. Take it on your, in your community. Take it back to school. There's <laughs> a powerful worship song by Jekyll and Carr. It says, you will win. She reminds us 
And I want you all to stand right now. And as we stand, my altar call is this. My altar call is for our pastors, elders, ministers. Altar call is for life group leaders, for prayer team members, for, for uh, uh, pastors, assistant team members, for ministry leaders. Come and fill this altar right now. Because the enemy has come up against your home. The enemy has come up against your children. The enemy came up against your name. The enemy came up against your character. But God says you will win. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.